This episode of the Policy Viz podcast is brought to you by Juice Analytics. Juice is the company behind Juicebox, a new kind of platform for visualizing data. Juicebox is a platform designed to deliver easy-to-read interactive data applications and dashboards. Juicebox turns your valuable analyses into a story for everyday decision makers. For more information on Juicebox or to schedule a demo, visit juiceanalytics.com. Welcome back to the Policy Viz podcast. I'm your host, John Schwabish. Thanks for tuning in. Very exciting guest today. I have Ben Jones from Tableau Software joining me. Ben, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks, John. Great to be here. Uh, how are you, friend? Doing well, thank you. Busy traveling all over the place, I see. Yeah, a little bit too much, but... <laughs> well, we all travel too much, but uh, at least you're getting to go to some fun places. Um, I get some miles out of it that yeah. at some point, in theory, I should be able to use. You'd be but, able to cash uh, it in, right? Yeah. <laughs> um, why, don't we, uh, why don't we start by having you uh, introduce yourself to uh, listeners who may not be familiar with you or, of course, your great blog, Data Remixed. Yeah, so, um, so again, my name is Ben. I uh, blog at dataremix.com, and that's something I've been doing for about five years now, and that got me in a little trouble because I ended up getting hired by Tableau, and uh, so now I work there and, and help uh, manage the product marketing team for Tableau Public, which is our free product that so we put out there for anyone who wants to tell a data story to the world. Um, so that's a fun gig that lets me uh, interact with people like the journalism school students here at University of Mizzou that I'll speak to um, in this next week. And um, so that's a really uh, kind of an honor to be able to talk to people that are telling the stories of our time using data and increasing the numerical literacy really um, amongst uh, the people uh, around us. And so I also teach uh, data visualization theory at University of Washington. Mm-hmm. It's a night school class there. So that's me. Nice, nice. So let's talk a little bit about Tableau Public since it's a super active community. Um, I actually have been attending the Tableau user groups here in D.C. the last few months. So what's new with Tableau Public? What do you guys have coming out? Yeah, good question. So we uh, just launched Tableau Public 9.3. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, for those of you who know uh, Tableau, it's the same visualization software with some new features like the ability to union. So when you have multiple data sets that all need to be combined together, think of them stacking them vertically, like maybe you got one data set for January, one for February, one for March, and you really want to put them all together. So there's a really fast and easy way to just, you know, to do that now um, using Tableau Public. And also, we see such a global uptake of this product. You know, we see people making visualizations and publishing them all over the world from, you know, Brazil or, you know, even places like Belarus, you name it, surprising places maybe you wouldn't expect. But we have a commitment to really try to improve um, things like mapping for different geographies. So we added zip codes for 37 European countries and, uh, and Japan as well and, and, you know, India districts and things like that. So just really rounding out a lot of the mapping. Mm-hmm. Uh, we updated the U.S. Census data to 2016, you know, just in time for the, for the presidential election. So mm-hmm. some new things going there on the feature side of things and then just um, – as far as on the community side of things, you know, it's just, it just keeps, it's just amazing how much yeah. people are uh, just continuing to join this, this group of people trying to uh, make sense of the data and, and talk about that and, and have this dialogue. We just um, are doing a new, uh, what we call Iron Viz contest. So, mm-hmm. so that's going to happen. And uh, that's great to see, you know, a lot of creative people start to work with uh, some of the same kinds of data sets and you get a real, 
appreciation for what can be done and, and what kind of talented people are out there. So it's a fun time of the year for us to see those submissions. So those are some new things. Good, good, good. So as with any sort of software product, when you have a new release, people get upset sometimes about different types of visualizations. Now, one visualization type that you have written about and you and I have disagreed about are word clouds. So mm-hmm. you have a great post from last October that talked about a whole bunch of different things, um, including how we should be more responsible when we critique, um, how there may not be sort of hard and fast rules when it comes to data viz. But one thing that stood out in that post that, you know, you're being a little provocative, I think, was, hey, word clouds are not the end all, not the worst thing in the world. So I think we need to kick off the uh, the great word cloud debate of 2016. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So, okay. So why don't you give me your rundown of your pros for word clouds? Okay. So let me start by saying, I don't think word clouds are great all the time. Okay. Uh, I just think it's in everyone's best interest if we keep the solution set as large as possible. Mm-hmm. Um, I also think there's a misconception that all data visualizations should be um, the most accurate possible choice at any given time. Um, but what I've seen and what I've experienced is that, uh, you know, a lot of times a lot of precision isn't necessarily required. So, um, an example of that Don Norman gives in his book, the design of everyday things is let's say you want to know what temperature it is. Um, cause you're going to be going outside and you want to know if you should wear a sweater or not. So in that scenario, it doesn't matter if it's 52 or 55 degrees Fahrenheit or 55 and a half degrees Fahrenheit, right? Like in either case, no matter which of those three it is, you're going to be wearing a light sweater. So the task you want to get done is very important. Yeah. And so is the audience. So what is, you know, so let's say you want to show a visualization. Uh, what is the audience familiar with? What are they comfortable with? What do they know how and are trained to make sense of? So I use a simple example of uh, the hundred most common passwords. And I used, you know, four different visualizations to try to show what they are. And in my estimation, you know, if I were just presenting this to a crowd of people and wanted them to get a general sense of what is in the, set of 100 most common passwords, the word cloud was the best one because, you know, yeah, it's hard to tell that password occurs one point, you know, 26% of the time more than, um, than one, two, three, four, five, six, for example. But it's the only visualization of the four I created that includes all of the, uh, passwords in the, Mm -hmm. in the set of 100. The other ones just weren't complete in that regard. And so, you know, if they didn't have time to, so questions like, does the audience have time to interact? You know, what's the importance of the decision they're going to be making with regard to, you know, using this visualization, those things make a big difference. Mm -hmm. And so you can come up with scenarios and cases where some of these visualization types work and they're on the list of, you know, quote unquote, bad visualization types. Right. And I think we've been suffering because, you know, we've been afraid to use them since some people don't like them out there. So I just don't believe that, you know, that's, yeah. that's my take on it. I guess. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, cer- I certainly agree that we, whoever we is, I don't know who we is, but we, we tend to take sort of a hard line sometimes when it comes to, you know, bubble plug, bubble clouds or, you know, what have you. I just think for me, the, the issue with the word cloud is that the sizing of the word, the character count of the word for me it just distorts the view and i'd rather i'm not ruling out something like a bubble plot you have in in the post that i'll that i'll link to on the site you have a bubble plot here you have a tree map you have a bar chart and the word cloud you know for me i just still don't get like a great sense of the of the difference of the size Mm -hmm. you know the frequency when i look at that word cloud which is i do get that from the bar chart now i will say however that 
you know, there's a great quote from Amanda Cox from the Times. She says, you know, a world without bubbles or a world without circles is a world without joy, right? And so there, these aesthetic things, there are these aspects of visualizations that, you know, can draw you in and keep you there. And the word cloud is certainly, it's obviously a little different, a little more maybe aesthetic than a bar chart. I don't know. Yeah. Um, so it's interesting you bring up the bar chart. So actually, of the four. Yeah. I actually think it's the worst for the scenario I'm specifying, again, which is I'm in a big presentation room, lots of people. I want them to understand that people use really stupid passwords, and here are the ones that they most commonly use. Right. The bar chart only shows 16 of the 100 because Mm -hmm. you have to scroll down to see it. Critically, it doesn't include the word Batman, which I think is a big bummer. (laughs) I probably use that. The other three all do. The other three all say So. Yeah. So, but let's say I wanted to put on a tablet and give to someone and I wanted to show a timeline of how the usage of these passwords has changed over time. Well, maybe I go, might go for a bubble chart there because, hey, the bubble is a great way to filter, isn't it? If you're using a finger, that's a great landing pad and, mm-hmm. and a whole lot better than a bar that gets smaller and smaller and smaller that may be very hard to touch. So again, it depends on the scenario. And so I'm not a fan of saying, well, this is a bad chart type. Now, does it depend on how many letters are in the word and does that make it harder to tell? If one is slightly more or less than another, yeah, like if I look at it, I can't see if there's more Batman or Harley. I mean, they're very close in size. But again, maybe that doesn't matter. Maybe you're going to wear a sweater, whether it's 52 or 53. You know, maybe that precision isn't important for a specific scenario. It may be for others. You're in security and you're trying to design some algorithm to optimize, you know, password protection or what have you. Like, yeah, the exact... You know, fraction, fraction of a matters. percent yeah. is, right. is important. But then I would argue, well, then then, then make a table or, or have yeah. those f- those values need to, even a bar chart and when that amount of precision is required might not be good enough. Right. I mean, I think the other, the other thing I, I'd say is that if I imagine this, this use case that you have where I'm giving a talk and I'm putting a word cloud up there, one of the things about putting a word cloud up there is that everybody does try to read all of the text, right? And this is you know, something that people have heard me rail against lots of times, which is putting too much text on the slides because people start to read it and all that sort of thing. Whereas if I created one of these other chart types and said, oh, I just want to highlight that, you know, X percent of people use Batman and Y percent use, um, mm-hmm. you know, Yankees, um, mm-hmm. you know, then I would sort of focus on on those pieces. And maybe you could do that even with, with the word cloud, you know, sort of highlight those different words in different colors or something. I certainly agree that it's about your audience. It's about your use case. Um, yeah, I think it really does depend. I mean, at the end of the day, the concept that really I think is important to remember is something called a payoff function. So what we're essentially discussing is which visualization is better right. of a set of visualizations. And so that's a question we're asking ourselves. Well, then, you know, if, if we were to approach that question from a rigorous point of view, such as they do in operations research, you'd have to try to develop some way of ranking them. Mm-hmm. and some function. And so the question is, well, what factors are included in that payoff function? And I think anybody who's been working in the field of data visualization for any amount of time at all would say, well, you know, the ability to comprehend the proportions accurately is a factor in the payoff function. I'd say it's the most important factor, right? Many, many times that's the most important factor. But I'm, I'm a big believer that it's not the only factor, right? Maybe, like you said, maybe there's a, a, a humorous metaphor that really yeah. causes your audience to pay attention. Like, how much pie I ate versus how much pie I didn't eat, right? Like showing that in a bar chart, you know, kind of misses the point, yeah, right? Yeah. Um, and, and frankly, like showing a photograph of the pie is the way to show, right? Yeah. And that happens to be a pie chart. So the payoff function is something that I think includes a lot of different factors. And it's oversimplifying the scenario to say, well, we're only going to go with the most accurate chart type. Now, what you would 
end up with if you just simply use that one factor in the payoff function. It's a really boring world where everybody has the same two or three kinds of charts for anything you ever do. You know, and to your point, that kind of zaps the joy out of it. Yeah. And I think sometimes there's there's such thing as good enough. You know, mm-hmm. sometimes you get the accuracy that's good enough for the task. And why wouldn't you then pick a chart type that even maybe slightly sacrifices accuracy, but gives you a world of benefit in something like um, grabbing the audience's attention or leaving with them, them with a metaphor that stays in their mind, right? Or makes them laugh. I mean, those are things that I think are important because we're talking about communicating to humans. Mm-hmm. We're not talking about communicating to robots. Mm-hmm. You know, the other thing I'd say just to shift the scenario a little bit, uh, instead of giving, a, let's say, instead of giving a presentation, I was writing a blog post or, or whatever. I was posting the visualization online. We also sort of seem obsessed now with getting it all into one graph, right? And you have on your post, very simply, four graphs showing the same data. And mm-hmm, to me, mm-hmm. it doesn't seem like we would have to always have one graph, that there are multiple graphs showing the same data, allowing people to interact in different ways. For example... I'm not a huge fan of like state level choropleth maps, right? Because I don't think you get a, you know, you don't all, depending on the data and, and context and all that stuff, but you don't always get to see the actual difference in the values, right? And can, and Texas and California are very big, right? But if you pair that same map with a bar chart, then you have sort of best of both worlds. People like maps. I get it. People like maps. They know where they live and they get to focus in on that. But then you get to please the other group who just wants to know, how big is this value of Virginia relative to California? And they get the bar chart. So that's one of the things about a tool like Tableau and some of the other dashboard type tools out there that we have multiple visualizations showing at the same data, allowing us to interact in, in different ways. Yeah. And that's where a lot of the times, you know, you could use one that doesn't have a degree of precision and, and include yeah. a table, you know, include yeah, a table yeah. in there or add a label. Um, right. And those are ways to accomplish a few different tasks at the same time. Yeah. I think this is going to help us get into our transition to our next topic because, um, you know, sometimes including a whole bunch of views together in the same screen can be a big challenge, right? Obviously. But I think you should include as many views as, as is helpful. Mm-hmm. But I've seen, right? And I think we all have seen the tendency to maybe add more than is necessary sure. just because it can just be done. Can. Right. Yeah. So I'd say edit and remove until you get down to a, a list of um, visualizations in the view that I think are, are, you know, necessary and sufficient. Right. So we were talking earlier before we, before we came on about creating interactive visualizations for the sake of having interactivity. And I think a tool like Tableau that makes it so easy to create interactive visualizations and also the evolution of all sorts of tools of D3 and, and R and all these sorts of things. What is your take now on interactivity? Is it, have we sort of gone too far and now like everything's interactive because it's so easy to do and do we need to pull back or, or is it all good that we can have everything moving around and be able to click and hover all the time? I think, you know, interactivity is a tool we can use. And I think it's common a lot of times. So it's very helpful, for example, if you want to let someone drill down to the story in their own neck of the woods. Or, you know, if there's so much information in there that you you really can't show it all at the same time. So it's helpful to give it to them in bits and pieces and then let them interact with the visualization in a way that lets them proceed through um, that story instead Mm -hmm. of overwhelming them all at the same time. So I think in general, interactivity is a very powerful thing to be able to include in a data visualization. Mm -hmm. I just don't think I agree with you. I don't think it's always necessary. Mm -hmm. And I think this transition to a world where 
more and more visualizations are being viewed on tiny you know phones yeah has taught us that you know we can shed some of that it's not always needed and a lot of times you can get away with a static view or maybe a gif or something else that's a little more hands off yeah i think that we're challenged right now because we don't really know how to do interactivity well on the phone there's a lot of people innovating in this space and some great examples coming out but i'm confident that you know interactivity in and of itself is a useful tool mm-hmm. and i think we're going to continue to i think we have an opportunity to uh, bring those types of interactive elements to the phone in ways that make sense to people in ways that people find a joy to interact with when they're sitting on the train commuting right as opposed to what it is right now is sort of can be a very confusing experience or it can be clunky and frankly it cannot work right it can be a broken experience and yeah. so there's a lot of that right now out there and um, you know I think it's because we've only seen the last couple of years here this huge shift of readership to mobile it's a good thing I think it's just challenging us in some ways it, it makes the field more exciting right because we yeah. have a challenge now which is to uh, you know next generation coming up that's what they use that's what they're comfortable with that's how they like to consume information and so we got to do what we can to make sure that, you know, they can interact with data on their phones. And I think we're getting there. I just think we're not quite there yet. Yeah, I think um, I like the way you talk about the joy of interactivity. Like, I, I think I think there is a joy, like a really good interactive visualization. We could obviously name tons of them that where you do, you get joy out of interacting with it. I think where we tend to fall down is uh, we have some sort of, I don't know, a line chart. And you're allowed to click and hover and it shows you the data, shows you the data point, right? But that doesn't really help you better understand the story. It doesn't help. I, don't, I mean, I, there are use cases, I think, where if you and I are sitting down at a table and we're exploring some data set, that, that may be useful. I want to know what this, the values of this point. But if I'm writing a newspaper article or I'm writing a blog post, I just want to show you that this trend has gone up over time. Mm-hmm. Um, and the mobile thing is a whole other issue. So, so I'm curious, have you, as Tableau Public, have you guys started to try to figure out, you know, what are people doing with mobile when it comes to Tableau and how are they trying to tackle those, those challenges? Yeah. Um, so we've seen this coming, you know, this has been, this has been something we've noticed here for going back for a few years. And so we've seen some people, actually some authors, this is kind of the nice thing. A lot of times they can be the ones to, to be creative and innovate, but, um, We've seen some authors, for example, you know, figure out how to use custom CSS styling to swap between a different version of the dashboard um, for the different form factors that their reader might be approaching mm-hmm. the visualization with. Um, and that doesn't work for everyone because of their various CMSs and so forth. But for a lot of people, that does work. Um, and we've been taking it upon ourselves really to, to look into this, uh, this exact thing, you know, mobile being so important yeah. for the people that, that we see day in and day out using Tableau Public. And so we're definitely, you know, looking at a lot of things here and uh, have been working on a feature um, that we're, we're pretty excited about, you know, hopefully uh, releasing sometime later on this year that really lets people do just that, you know, figure out what the experience is going to be like for these different devices and customize a single workbook so that they can deliver that experience, you know, even if it means taking some things out mm-hmm. or, you know, making it look, you know, maybe you want to show the big map on desktop, but then, for a phone, you know, maybe really the consumption needs to be in a list or a bar chart. Mm. And so you can customize that. You know, that's kind of the kinds of things we're looking at adding to the product mm-hmm. here, just so that out of the box you can, you know, using click and drag, kind of create that exact kind of experience uh, where a reader can get something that just works for them no right. matter what device they're using. And that would allow you to do those sort of make those selections within a single Tableau workbook, or you'd have to have multiple 
workbook? Yeah, so exactly. Instead of having a bunch of different files that you're using CSS to swap, yeah. which actually some news organizations like, for example, the Sydney Morning Herald down there in, in Sydney, Australia, mm-hmm. you know, they do a great job at the CMS level of changing what uh, content they're putting. Uh, but this would allow you to do that at a workbook level so that, you know, it's some, in some ways simplifies that workflow. Yeah. Right? So you just publish that one workbook and then um, you're able to take the single embed code, right? And then right. the server is doing the uh, the smarts of, of figuring out what to serve up to the reader when they get there. That's interesting. Well, that'll be uh, that'll be big. So we'll uh, we'll certainly look forward to that. Um, before I let you go, I want to ask you about the Tapestry Conference that took place a couple months ago in Colorado. You and Robert Cassara and Ellie Fields at Tableau organized. This is the fourth year. Yeah, that's right. Fourth that was, it was right. the fourth annual conference, right? Um, you want to tell folks about it? I'm not sure everybody knows about Tapestry. It's sort of a, a close-knit, small attendee list. Um, yeah. But it's a, it's a great show. So, Yeah, we joke around and call it more like a retreat than a conference. <laughs> yeah. So we're, we're really uh, fortunate to have a great relationship with the folks at IRE and NICAR. In fact, I'll be uh, hopefully dropping in on the IRE office here while I'm in Columbia. But uh, we, we create this conference that gives people the ability to have you know, a very small kind of a boutique experience. It's in a cool location. We park it right in front of NICAR um, so that journalists don't have to pay a lot extra to get there. They're already flying to the location and whatnot. So it's usually just one extra hotel um, night for them. And that's because we want to bring together people, not just journalists. We're looking at academics. We're we're, we're inviting uh, people and practitioners like myself or tool builders, you know, people like, um, uh, we had uh, some folks from a variety of different tools that came this past year, but the idea is just say, Hey, can we get everybody together, you know, or a group of people together in one room and have a discussion of talking about data stories on the web and what that looks like and where we are right now. And so we had some great presentations this past year by folks like Enrico Bertini, you know, a fellow data podcaster. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, and uh, he, he showed off a tool that he was creating that really allows you to do you know, interesting visualization searches of, of review data and whatnot. And then we get Jessica Holman up there from the University of Washington who's researching really fascinating ways to make comparisons. Like if you need to go from here you know, to the 7-Eleven down the street, like what's that like in, in terms that you can weave you know, number of football fields or something, that kind yeah. of a thing, right? Yeah making those comparisons. So that was another example of a presentation. You know, we pick a left field um, speaker. So someone who challenges us to think differently. So this year we had Nick Susanis from the world of comics, uh, because, you know, in a lot of ways, that's kind of the same thing, a, a story that's being told in different views, right. uh, helps us and makes us think about different ways. So we had a bunch of great presentations this year. Uh, they're all up on the website, tapestryconference.com, and our, we our YouTube page, as you can see them. And we stream live, too. So for the folks that can't either make it out to the location we are at or you know want to view it as it's happening, you can just plug in and, and watch right. the live stream. So it's kind of become a little, yeah, there's a lot of repeat attenders, you know, people, mm-hmm. offenders, attenders, Offender, they want to call yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Well, you know, we're, we're, we're looking forward to having you come back, you know, after a great presentation you did a couple years back out there in Annapolis. Yeah. So it's kind of turned into, it feels like more like a class reunion at yeah. this point. Yeah, it's a neat, it's a neat thing. You know, it's very rare that you go to an event now where everybody's in the same room tweeting about the same thing. You know, you're always picking a track or trying to hustle between yeah. this yeah, conference. Nice we, we take it all out and it's just let's sit down all together and, you know, and, and right. kind of get to know each other. There's 120 people ish. And so you kind of get to know all the faces by the time you, you're done. So yeah. that's, that's what's neat about it. Yeah, I, I attended the first two and, and Scott McLeod, who um, gave the closing keynote at the at the first one in, in Nashville was, I, I think for me, was probably the best presentation I've seen live. It was just a great, just a yeah. great talk. And you're exactly right. The people are sort of doing different things 
forces us to sort of think about how we use data and how we use visualizations to, you know, I hesitate to use the word story, but I'll use the word story. Here, yeah, you know, yeah. sort of, you know, that's a whole, that's, we're, we'll have a whole other show. You and I yeah, can talk yeah. about stories, well, but. Well, we, that's how we, we always, we love also to the person that's going to shake it up a little bit. So last year we had Kim Rees come and talk to us about, <laughs> yeah. um, you know, how she hates the term data right. storytelling. We loved it. You know, it kind of, we get a little high on data and storytelling and it all becomes all great. But, you know, sometimes you need to be reminded about what it's not good for. Or, you know, we had a great talk by Eva Galena Rosenbaum this, this year about, you know, what if you do if you don't have data or if the data is so sparse that you really can't say much? Like, how do you communicate that well? So we try to include things that rattle our cage a little bit too, you know, so it's not just a bunch yeah. of congratulating ourselves about being great data people. It's right. like, well, wait a minute, you know, what are the, what are the, what are the counterpoints here? And what are the things we need to remember? So we cool our jets a little bit and, and get back to, you know, realizing that there are some limitations to this form of communication. Yeah. Great. Well, really good, Ben. Um, good luck with your travels. Um, Thank you. I'm excited to see what, uh, what happens with uh, Tableau public, the, the, the social or the, the mobile platforms will be really interesting to see. So uh, we'll be, yeah. uh, we'll be checking that out. So um, thanks for coming on the show. This has been really interesting. I appreciate it, John. Thank you so much for having me. Uh, thanks, everyone, for tuning in. This has been fun. Um, please let me know if you have any comments or questions. And, of course, rate the show on iTunes or your favorite podcast provider. So until next time, this has been the Policy of This Podcast. Again, thanks to our sponsors, Juice Analytics. For 10 years, they've been helping clients like Aetna, the Virginia Chamber of Commerce, Notre Dame University, and U.S. News and World Report create beautiful, easy-to-understand visualizations. Be sure to learn more about Juicebox, a new kind of platform for visualizing data, at juiceanalytics.com. Also, check out their book, Data Fluency, found on Amazon.